Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Cliff Notes of the Global Manufacturing Picture. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host of this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. For regular listeners of this show, and even for our newer audience, I will tell you that this week's episode, this pre-election episode, is going to be distinctly different. For one thing, it is now 4 p.m. on the east coast of the United States, and we are broadcasting live across the country and indeed across the world. Normally, I use this show to share my insights on the latest U.S. manufacturing data and related data to sort of give a sense of where things are going and where things are, are headed, maybe even over the longer term. This year, that has served the purpose of helping our listening audience to follow the progress of the recovery from the terrible crash that we had in manufacturing output in March and April. But this episode, this pre-election episode, this remarkable moment in time demands more. We can't just do that. We have to go further. The stakes are too high. The moment is too weighty. I have to engage my fellow economists, one of my fellow economists, in a conversation, and we can't just look at the short term, although the short term is critical right now. We have to go a little bit further. We have to look beyond the election, beyond the pandemic. After all, at this moment, we are not just dealing with the pandemic. We're dealing with great uncertainty over fiscal stimulus, a contentious election, rising trade tensions that never seem to stop, and technology and supply chain disruptions that themselves might be altered, accelerated even, by the pandemic. My guest today is Joseph Mayens. While Joseph is talking to us from his home in Salt Lake City, and while he was born in Wichita, a home of much aerospace uh, activity. Joseph is absolutely no stranger to Washington, D.C., and it makes him a perfect economist to talk to me about the outlook at this remarkable moment. He has spent the last eight years working at the intersection of economics and public policy. As the founder and principal economist of Advantage Economics, he conducts in-depth macroeconomic research with a focus on labor market trends and monetary policy. Prior to his work as an economist, Joseph served as legislative staff in the United States Senate and specialized in small business, technology, and banking policy. Joseph, welcome to the show. Cliff, so happy to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Exciting My pleasure. Time. Um, the news on manufacturing output growth from the Federal Reserve this morning was, I would say, rather jarring. I had been fretting for a few months that the recovery from the March and April crash, and I detest that word, but it's the only accurate word to talk about what happened to manufacturing output growth in March and April as a result of the pandemic. The recovery had been erratic and looked like it was slowing. 
But September data released this morning removed all doubt. We lapsed. We actually went back negative. Now, it was a shallow negative. It was minus 0.3%. And you do have to account for the fact that output data do tend to be volatile, although the specifics were a little disconcerting. We had broad-based weakness in such critical areas as motor vehicle and parts, petroleum, and machinery. So given that this, we can now with some certainty saying that this manufacturing recovery from what happened in March and April is weakened, is troubled, my question to you is, what's going on? Why is the manufacturing recovery weakening and even lapsed negative today, um, as of uh, September? Is it demand weakness? Is it supply chain challenges? What do you think? So I'll say just start off, I think it's all of those things. Um, but, you know, Cliff, it's such a fascinating time to be an economist and to, being, to, to study the economy. And so often, you know, what we do is we build these narratives and stories about what's happening right now. And, you know, when I woke up this morning, I rolled over and I opened up my uh, web pages and I saw retail sales. Retail sales are, are up at the highest in three months. They're up across motors, uh, motor vehicles and parts. They're up across clothing. They're up across furniture. So you're seeing, I think, two stories. You're seeing one story on the retail side of things where consumers are feeling good. You see consumer confidence up. Uh, we just got another measure out this morning from um, consumer sentiment from the University of Michigan up a little bit again. You saw from the NFIB, National Federation of Independent Business, earlier this week, that small business optimism is up. So that's one side of the story. Then I, I, flipped, I flipped to my other page and I saw industrial production down, Manufac manufacturing output down, you know, output for motor vehicle and auto parts, the same thing that was up on retail sales, you know, uh, manufacturing uh, output for clothing down, furniture down. And the question is why? How do you reconcile these two different stories. And what I'm seeing is that the manufacturing side, the output side of the economy is saying, we don't buy this strong consumer spending, this strong consumer sentiment uh, recovery story that we're saying, we don't buy that. And there's a couple reasons for that. I think what you're seeing is on the industrial production side, manufacturing side, they're saying, look, when you look at the longer term aspects of the economic recovery. You know, we have still in, an incredibly tough labor market. You know, just yesterday, we saw almost 900,000 more people filed for unemployment for the very first time. Um, states are still struggling with coronavirus outbreaks. You know, they're, they're navigating the process of how do we, how do we uh, conduct lockdowns in a prudent way? Do we mandate masks? You know, those kind of issues. And then uncertainty around the future of a, of a vaccine. I mean, there's a lot of vaccine candidates out there right now, the, some final stages. But what if we don't get something in the next six months or the next year or something that actually uh, kind of produces this long-term immunity that we're looking for? But more importantly, I think in the story, and I, I think getting back to your point on why the manufacturing um, side of things has been kind of sputtering. Um, out of, you know, the big crash, we had a big jump, 
but it's been sputtering now. And I think it's because it doesn't buy that story. And I think one reason, you know, manufacturers aren't going to produce stuff if people aren't on the other side to buy. And I think they're concerned about the long-term issues around the consumer. You know, what we've seen is that early in the crisis, we had very strong stimulus uh, out of Congress and the CARES Act, the stimulus checks. The Fed just put out new data showing what people did with those checks. What did they do? About They saved roughly about 30, 35% of those checks. So we can take that data and we can say, look, people have been saving these stimulus checks, um, and we can see that directly in the personal savings rate that's out there. And what we've seen is when the stimulus checks hit the economy, personal savings went through the roof. People socked that money away. But what we've seen since then is a drawdown in that savings rate. We've seen that steadily come down over the past few months. And my guess is that uh, the output side of the economy, manufacturing side, is looking at that and saying, this is not sustainable. We may continue to see retail sales rise like we have, but that's because it's being supported by savings and not necessarily a broad-based recovery in the economy. Let me ask you, um, this may be a parallel question. It may not be because I think there are probably, given the set of circumstances, a whole issue, set of issues around the labor force. But in May and June, yeah. we had what appeared to be, uh, anyway, the beginning of a, of a well-paced recovery from a near, uh, loss of nearly 1.4 million manufacturing jobs in a few months. Yep. But the manufacturing jobs recovery has slowed considerably. For the first couple of months, it was triple digits, which is normal given the loss. Then it went into right. uh, the double digits you know, um, and really slid considerably. Now, is the quick slowdown that we had in the manufacturing jobs recovery – is this just consistent consistency with the slowing output recovery, or are there unique issues with the manufacturing workforce that you know may have something to do with the pandemic? Yeah, I, I think it's both of those both of those things. So when you look at what happened with the broader economy and in manufacturing, you know both areas. When you look at total non-farm employment, you know it dropped drastically and it bounced back quickly. You saw that too with uh, manufacturing. However, a couple things, the drop in manufacturing was not as strong as it was in the broader economy. And actually, if you look um, just at a sector by sector basis, you know, manufacturing is actually one of the better performing sectors. And I think some of that had to do with, you know, there's areas of manufacturing that were deemed essential and so you had some uh, segments and industries there that were continuing to produce where you have other areas of economy. You know, you look at leisure and hospitality, um, you look at professional business services, education, those things are all hit pretty hard, but manufacturing really held up fairly well. That's not to say that it's good by any means, as, as you've talked about. Um, but so I think just by the nature, the, the recovery is a little shallower and, but you have seen um, it's been it's been very disjointed over the past couple of months, and I think the reason why, getting back to uh, the answer on the first question, is that manufacturers I think have been kind of just testing the waters. They, they want to see, you know, how many people do I need to to bring back into the workplace just to get by, 
And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And I think the reason why we've seen weakness uh, in hiring is because of the fear of the longer term outlook. I think there's a, a lot of trepidation there. And I, I think rightfully so. I think it's, you, they're just learning to navigate the, the new normal. And part of that is, you know, if, you, if you're a manufacturer and you think about your production floor and all the new health implementations you have put there, I mean, manufacturers right. spend a lot of time dialing in their process and becoming extremely efficient at what they do. Whenever you introduce these new, um, you know, whether you have to put up plexiglass partitions, well, you have to be so many uh, feet apart, that introduces a whole new complication that I think that manufacturing and, and other and industries in general are, are trying to get used to. And so I think you have some of those manufacturing specific, specific issues, but there are also broader issues uh, that are affecting everybody. Okay, that's enough of back a bit. Let's look first ahead, what's immediately ahead of us, and then we'll go from that to looking a little bit further ahead of us. Um, no, no surprise that there appears to be a disturbing spike in COVID cases in the U.S. as well as in Europe. At least in the U.S. that we had predicted, uh, you know, a fall and winter um, spike. How should manufacturing economists, how should economists, generally speaking, work this in this, you know, spike in COVID cases into our short-term forecast for manufacturing output and jobs growth? Yeah, that that that's a great question. That's something I've been thinking a lot about recently. So a, a couple things. One is how is it that people themselves, how consumers are reacting to rises in coronavirus cases? So very early on in the crisis, in the, the International Monetary Fund, they just put out the World Economic Outlook. They talked to this a little bit. And some economists early in the crisis uh, have, have written on this, this question, what is the bigger issue in uh, constraining the economy? Is it the, the federally mandated or state mandated lockdowns, or is it the change in consumer behavior brought about by fear of the virus? And so when these studies um, looked at this question, and this is primarily at the beginning of the crisis, so you think through June, um, the answer is that it's both. Both of them have an equally impactful um, resonance in the economy. But my, my question is, how has that evolved? So we've seen early in the crisis that uh, states and countries were very quick to lock down and lock down in a very stringent way. Uh, that's changed. States are starting to take a more targeted approach to certain industries. You see in Europe, same thing. Uh, you see a lot of renewed lockdowns now, but they're, they're being more targeted. And so that's one thing. If, if you're a manufacturer and you're looking at what's happening internationally, and even when you're looking at what's happening regionally, I think that there has to be questions, how are states and how are other countries reacting to a resurgence in a virus? So, so that's one thing. You know, how strict are they going to be locked down and whether or not manufacturing is going to be considered you know, an essential service essential workers. Um, but the other thing is, is the consumers. I think the consumers, uh, I think we've seen here, at least here in the States, is that 
even though over the past couple of months we've had uh, a pretty uh, fast to rise in coronavirus cases, many times much higher than it was earlier, but consumers are still willing to go out and buy. And so I'm wondering if some of those early studies that show that there's an even split between uh, consumer behavior and lockdowns, I'm wondering now if consumers have been more willing to go out and engage in the economy, which makes it more prevalent that the government lockdowns are more impactful on the economy than the consumers. So I think that those are both questions to look at, but I would be um, concerned if you're a manufacturer and you're looking abroad and you're, if you're looking locally about what the state level mandates are looking like. Uh, but I think, I think, you know, you think more long to me, or medium term, you know, industries, uh, most of the industries now are caught kind of flat footed. That's not going to be the case forever. You know, my guess is that you're going to see, looking at the policy side of things, you're going to be see, you're going to see lobbyists from both manufacturing uh, industries, from all the industries, going out to their, their state capital saying, look, we need to be deemed essential services, essential, we need to have a workers that seem to, deemed essential workers so they can continue working, even if there's a renewed outbreak. And that needs to be extended through the supply chain. Um, because, you know, if you have a, if your supply chain extends throughout many states and some of those states are more likely to lock down, that creates a lot of difficulty. Um, but I think it, it's a, it's a big basket of issues that the manufacturers have to work through, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely something that needs to be thought about how states are going to react and how consumers are reacting. Early in the crisis, March, April, we got the benefit of some very quick policy moves, certainly some very quick and dramatic actions by the Federal Reserve, which yeah. almost everybody agrees kept the financial system at least stable. Along with that, we had a sizable fiscal stimulus, and I think most economists agree that the fiscal stimulus that we got early in the early phases of the crisis in March and April um, really was one thing that has powered a recovery. To the extent that we've had a recovery, the fiscal stimulus and the, and the monetary stimulus has powered it. But yeah. fiscal stimulus tends to, you know, even large fiscal stimulus tends to have a short shelf life. And there's quite a bit of evidence that it's waning now and – that there's no question that there are millions of Americans who badly need um, an extension of unemployment benefits, some sort of fiscal stimulus. They had worked for a long time in service industries, in restaurants, in bars. Their jobs are uh, compromised. They're going to have trouble paying the rent. It's all of this yeah. collectively, because we're dealing with millions of people, is going to, to have uh, an impact. Now, I, I had hoped by the time that we got on the air here that uh, we can report at least some, some movement, some, some good news, and I thought that maybe that was the case a day, a day and a half ago, but um, no such luck. So I'm going to ask you directly for, for the, this manufacturing discussion. In your thinking, to what extent is stimulus, fiscal stimulus, an element of the short-term U.S. manufacturing outlook that we're working through in this conversation? That's the, first, that's the first part of the question. And then secondly, what, if anything, would you like to see in stimulus legislation, should, ever, should it ever pass, 
to support what we might think of as a potentially faltering manufacturing recovery. Is a stimulus an element of the outlook? And then if it passes, what would you like to see in stimulus legislation for the manufacturing sector? Yeah, absolutely. So I think as you've pointed out, and I absolutely concur, is that the the fiscal stimulus that we saw early on was, to me, the CARES Act was a a landmark piece of uh, legislation. And I think that a lot of it came from the, the learnings from the last crisis, the financial crisis, that we need to move quickly and, and strongly. So up to this point, uh, I absolutely think that it has definitely benefited the, the consumer side of things. Uh, and it has supported, you know, millions of, of households and getting them back into the market, getting them back willing to spend, which, uh, like I said before, ma- manufacturers are going to produce when there's people out there willing to buy. You know, looking down the road at the next piece of legislation, I I think there are two things. Um, One, I think, is the more obvious point. I think that, you know, there needs to be uh, an extension of the the Paycheck Protection Program, Uh, you know, those forgivable loans to to small businesses if, you know, they hire back a certain percent of their employees. I, I think that's important. I think a lot of times when people think about manufacturing, they think about, big factories, and, you know, there's millions of small businesses, and small businesses make up a huge portion of the manufacturing industry, especially down the, the all-important supply chains. So those businesses need ongoing support. I would really like to see, you know, an extension of the program probably throughout the second half, I mean, throughout the first half of next year, so through about June or so. I just think it needs to be there, not just for manufacturing, but for the economy as a whole. One of my biggest worries in the long run of this whole thing is we've seen that the pandemic and the crisis has really impacted small businesses to a much greater extent than large businesses. Large businesses have a much easier time going out and raising money in the capital markets. They have a lot more cash on hand. Small small businesses don't. And if you're either a young person looking to one day start your own business, or if you are, you know, a lot of people, uh, the average age of somebody who's starting their own business is, you know, in the forties and fifties actually, because, you know, they have years of experience that they bring to that. But if you're a young person, if you see small businesses collapsing around you, do you want to go out and start a small business? No, probably not. If you're somebody who's, you know, had a great career and you want to take those insights and you want to start a new business, do you really want to risk your, um, financial, you know, independence into retirement on a big dream that you've seen before the government won't support? Eh, I don't know. So my, one of my longer-term fears is that that dynamism that we've seen in small business in the United States um, could be greatly curtailed. The, the other thing I'd like to say is that one thing that goes, uh, it's been talked about some, but it's been mostly cast aside in Senate, especially by Senate Republicans, it's this idea of, and I'm not trying to make this political, but of um, support to the state. I think one thing you've seen is that state budgets have been impacted tremendously by this. And it's not just budgets, it's states' unemployment funds. Um, it's other things. But when states are going through this down the line, they're going to have to be making uh, cuts to essential services. They're going to have to be making job cuts. They're going to have to raise taxes. And when you think about if they're draining their unemployment funds, 
typically when they when a state uses up their own unemployment fund that they've saved over the years, they draw from the federal government. Well, they eventually have to pay that money back. And they do that by raising taxes on employers and things like that. I, I would like to see some more stimulus to the states in the form of grants. Um, I think to cushion some of that impact, because while, you know, manufacturing sector um, may not always be the most directly impacted by that, the entire communities around them will be. And I I think that's important for securing the future. Let's now, we, the the short term is, is critical to understand. We're on the precipice of perhaps going one way or going another, but with manufacturing, I think it's important to try, hard as it may be, to look past the election, look past the pandemic, look past the fights with the stimulus. Because there are some – this sector, as I have said in all shows, is undergoing so many structural um, changes yep. uh, that are not going to stop, even with the, the myriad crises that we are confronting now, trade tensions technological disruption, supply chain disruption. So let's start with trade. In 2019, which seems like a very, very long time ago, trade fights were very much center stage for the U.S. manufacturing sector. Let me ask you, do you think that the pandemic will either incentivize or accelerate a move away from global trade and toward regional trade, and is this a is, is this a plus or minus for long-term U.S. manufacturing performance? I mean, there was some thought that you know globalization was pulling in its horns as a result of the uh, the drama of 2019, which seems mild compared to what we're going through now. But that globalization mm-hmm. was pulling in its horns, and we were moving toward regional trade. Is the pandemic pushing us more toward regional trade? And if so, what does that do to manufacturing performance? You know, I, this is definitely something that's been coming up a lot lately, uh, that the pandemic and the crisis and all this is pulling back on global trade. And, you know, right now, I I don't buy that story. You know, companies have spent decades establishing supply chains overseas. And I think that actually it's possible that the current situation may even, you know, reverse some of that. If companies were thinking, you you know, late 2018, 2019 about moving their supply chains, moving to a more regional basis. You know, some of the pandemic, I think, could actually change that in, in, in this sense. It's that, you know, we've seen how the, the U.S. and Canada and Mexico have, have handled the situation. In, in the U.S., you know, alone, there's a lot of criticism about, um, you know, the outbreak numbers, the uh, impact it's had on the economy. And one way to diversify away from that is to keep your supply chains international. So uh, I think you you mentioned in your your last uh, podcast was that, look, China is one of the few areas in the world that is actually seeing a rebound and is doing well. And if you look at the latest IMF forecast, China is slated to be one of the only countries in the world to actually experience growth here. And part of that has to do with, you know, the – the, the kind of structure they have in place there, but also their response to the virus. And I think that you may see companies looking at that saying, look, 
we maybe need to actually diversify, diversify our supply chains, maybe towards countries that have shown a propensity to, to staying open or keeping those factories open. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't really buy the story yet of um, manufacturing coming back um, more on a regional basis. I, I see the supply chain persisting. And I think some of that will obviously, obviously will have to do with after the election. Um, you know, I, I think either way, you know, for the long-term health of the sector, it, it's, it's around certainty. You know, you mentioned the Institute for Supply Management. You know, they, they put out the index every month. If you look at in 2019, not, not the index itself, but the survey responses from the respondents, it was all about uncertainty and difficulty. And what so many supply chains need is certainty. So one way or the other, the, the trade issues um, need to kind of come, in my view, to an end so that there can be certainty in the sector. And that is, I think, what provides more health and more security for the sector than pretty much anything else. Last question for Joseph Mayans. And this has to do with productivity. And this, throughout this terrible year, this, this disruptive year where we have seen tremendous gyrations in output growth for both manufacturing and the, the economy as a whole. I have tried to get, it, get people to understand that long-term growth at its heart has a few elements, and one of those elements is labor productivity growth. Labor productivity yep. is output per hour of all persons. And of course it matters for the economy and it matters for the manufacturing sector. And since the financial crisis, labor productivity growth has been weak. Let me say this, in spite of rapid process innovations, labor productivity growth in both the economy as a whole and in the manufacturing sector has been disturbingly slow since the financial crisis. Let me ask you, Joseph, what, if anything, do we need to do to improve productivity performance in the U.S. manufacturing sector so when we get through this period of history, we have a brighter future of growth ahead of us? Yeah, so, you know, this has been uh, a very interesting topic and something that economists have been studying over the past decade, exactly as, as you said, you know, why is it that that productivity has, has kind of been so stagnant. And I think that some of the issues that we've seen over the past 10 years are going to persist. I think, and one of the reasons is because of the, the debt loads that companies carry. So one of, the reason, one of the ways you can get increased productivity is by making capital investments, by, by investing in you know, machinery and infrastructure that allow people to, to produce more. And I think that is going to be <clears throat> obviously in this new era of uh, the pandemic era, and then also fear over future uh, health concerns. You know, manufacturers are going to be looking to, you know, they, they may not be able to place people as tightly together as they were previously. So you need to fill that space with something um, to keep that output at the level that it was before or to improve it. One of the issues is that as small, small businesses, especially in the supply chains, that, that have taken on a lot of debt um, in order to just survive this current crisis, 
making those investments is going to be a hard sell. Um, that's something that they may not, may not be able to do. That may be something they may not want to do. And I think that's one reason why, where you can kind of gauge a recovery in manufacturing is kind of how they're bringing the number of people they're bringing back. Because instead of trying to increase it through capital investments, they're probably going to have to bring people back. But I think there's going to be a constraint. So going forward long-term, I think it's going to be a, a long haul. I, I think what I would see in the sector is I think we may see more consolidation. Um, I think that some of the small businesses that were just able to survive the current crisis that have high debt loads may get bought up by, by larger companies. And that in a way may um, allow some new capital to, to go to work, to buying some of the new equipment, investing in training and things that may not otherwise happen. Uh, so I, I think that's where I would see the, the most progress being made. Joseph Vianz, you gave us your time, gave us your expertise. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Cliff. It's a pleasure. To our listeners, we as manufacturing economists, as manufacturing experts, as manufacturers, are privy to the first draft of a remarkable period in economic history and indeed in global history. I'm going to take advantage of that. There is so much to talk about. Nothing is normal. Nothing is going to be normal for quite some time. And on Manufacturing Talk Radio, we have to keep you on top of a complex story and a difficult story that at this moment is ever-evolving. Our future episodes of Cliff Notes will be doing that. Until the next episode, however, this is Cliff Waldman saying, I'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.